Welcome to Add Passion and Stir, Big Chefs, Big Ideas. This is the Share Our Strength podcast about people who are changing the world. I'm your host, Billy Shore. It's amazing when you realize how central food is to so many things that we care about. It affects our health. We didn't have anything. We barely had enough to eat, but we weren't homeless. Food security affects our strength as a nation. She said, you just don't understand what you would do to feed your child if your child was hungry. We're in Washington, D.C. today with three guests. One of them, like always, is a chef and a great chef, Tim Ma from the restaurant Kirasan. Welcome. Hi. Hi, how's it going? Thanks for having me. I'm so glad you're here. And an old time friend of mine from a long, long time ago, Roxanne White, who is the CEO of an incredible organization called the Nurse Family Partnership, based in Colorado. Yes. Uh, but working in all parts of the country, and we're going to hear about that. And one of my colleagues, uh, first time on our podcast, Elliot Gaskin. We're thrilled that you're here. First time participating. I'm excited. One of the things that we try to talk about a lot on this show, because we're an organization that focuses on, Share Strength is an organization that focuses on food, is the intersection between food and so many other issues mm-hmm. that we care about. Um, that's one of the reasons, Tim, that people in your position are so important to us. Uh, but you didn't start out as a chef. You, at least, uh, I think you started out in electrical engineering, uh, if I'm I right, did, with a degree from Georgia Tech. So I went and got a degree in electrical engineering from Georgia Tech, and then I went and got a master's in that same field from Johns Hopkins, and I did engineering for a long time uh, in this area. Professionally, um, that professionally, was your work. Yeah, I did that for eight years um, and then just completely switched gears. And restaurants have always been in my family. Um, and so I went down that path as well. So was there a moment in time when you knew you were going to make the leap? Um, yeah, I remember clearly when I wanted to open a restaurant. I was in a, I was actually sitting down in a Japanese restaurant in L.A. with my sister. I was 26 years old. And I looked at her and her now husband, and I was like, I want to open a restaurant. And they're like, it's a very difficult industry. I was like, yeah. And they're like, well, you can probably survive off you know, friends and family coming to your restaurant, at least for one year. And, and they were right. You know, I, that's I did, the way it worked. Yeah, that, that's the way it worked. <laughs> After that, you have to figure it out on your own. Um, but yeah, I remember that moment uh, very as a very pivotal moment in my mm-hmm. life. Roxanne, you're... Uh, path was not linear, but a little bit more linear, because I know in the 25-some years that I've known you and admired your work, it's always been working with underserved populations. You started out working with homeless and uh, what was called runaway youth at the time, uh, then got into public policy, I think as chief of staff to the governor, but also worked in the mayor's office in Denver, and then chief of staff to the governor of Colorado, and now um, running uh, Nurse Family Partnership. So tell us uh, about your uh, uh, about your journey. You know, as I was thinking about today's show, um, I flash back to this young teen mom that I was working with in the Tenderloin in San Francisco, and her name is Mia. And I had been working with Mia to, I was a street outreach worker, to leave prostitution. And I was particularly worried that she was prostituting and had a baby. And she got in my face in only the way an adolescent, particularly a street person, adolescent could get in your face. And she said, you just don't understand what you would do to feed your child Mm. if your child was hungry. And so as I was thinking about today. How long ago was this? this, That was 1989. and, And I really didn't think a lot about her until suddenly I was a single mom. 
and thinking about feeding my daughter. And I think about oftentimes when I look at the work that you all have done and the work we're all trying to do of, of what a person would do in order to be fed. It really struck me, um, you know, over the last 30 years, what people will do just for the right to eat. And Roxanne, your work now has moved kind of as upstream as you could possibly get to work with uh, moms expecting their first child. So one of the things I think in the social uh, sector that we all try to figure out is, you know, where can you intervene in ways that will have the most impact and how do you get as far upstream? And so it seems like you've kind of come in a full circle sense to now trying to make a difference at the earliest possible stage that you can. Tell us what Nurse Family Partnership actually does. Sure. Um, I actually encountered Nurse Family Partnership when I was back working with homeless teens in Denver. And I discovered that there was this program that could prove that if kiddos early on had this intervention, that the science showed that 15 years later they were 60% less likely to end up in juvenile justice and 72% um, less likely for their moms to have an additional criminal conviction. And the name of the organization is Nurse Family Partnership. And we work with moms from 28 weeks of pregnancy until the baby is two and a half. And we're in their homes helping make certain that they deliver a healthy baby because they have had proper nutrition, helping them with things like gestational diabetes. So our first goal is to make certain that our babies are born full term and healthy, Um, and healthy meaning neither um, on the extreme obese side or on the underweight side. And then we stay with those moms and babies until they're two and a half, ensuring that mom gets back to work, back to school, that the baby's brain has the right tools um, to develop um, because we know if we lose those first two years of brain development, we never recover it. And then helping mom um, and child develop assets for the future. Uh, tell us, who are some of the moms that you deal with now? Um, can you give us a, you don't have to use names, but just tell us what are their, li- what are their lives all about? Sure. I'll, I'll tell you about a mom I met not very long ago you know, outside of Phoenix, Arizona, and um, had gotten out of high school, gotten married shortly thereafter. Um, she and her husband were both working, and she got pregnant and um, had a beautiful little boy, uh, Marco. And, and then... Her husband's parents told him that actually his paperwork wasn't legal and he was not in the country legally. So May made a really difficult decision that he would go back to Mexico and get in line. Um, and so when I met her, she was they were in the process of him going back to Mexico to get to the United States legally. And one of the things that was so exciting is that our nurse was working with her about what her baby was eating. And she was so excited because that day she had a $15 gift certificate for her to go to the farmer's market. And as I was sitting there and listening, she was going to take three buses in order to get $15 worth of fresh vegetables at the local farmer's market. But that was how important it was for her baby to have good, healthy food And so she was working, she was saving money, she had made this decision with her husband to to, uh, be a single parent, in effect, while he did what was the right thing to do in terms of his legal status. And and it was just such an honor to be in her home because I left thinking, on my worst day, 
it really doesn't take much for me to have an ounce of the courage she has. Mm-hmm. So Tim, haven't you also been involved in DC Central Kitchen? DC Central Kitchen helps people uh, who don't have a lot of skills yet to get some so that they might have an opportunity in the culinary community. Right, they have a job training culinary arts facility that mm-hmm. uh, here in Washington, D.C., where they take homeless or ex-convicts and they train them or they reform their lives using the culinary arts, okay. which which is very cool um, in my perspective, considering I'm in the culinary arts. Uh, and so they, they take these uh, ex-convicts or homeless um, people and they train them, train them through the culinary arts and then put them into professional kitchens like mine and teach them about how to reform their lives uh, using, using cooking. Well, and I, I would bet that very few of your employees have ever had the opportunity to work side-by-side side with someone who is undergoing that kind of radical transformation in their own lives and coming, as you said, from the bottom and is a cool human being. And so how do we transform? That, that was actually said about, like, I, I remember it was his name was Kenneth, and he was homeless for a long time in South Carolina. Um, and then, you know, he came and he came into the kitchen. And he actually applied um, before we found out he was from D.C. Central Kitchen. And then we had him go through the proper channels to actually enter our kitchen properly through um, D.C. Central Kitchen. Uh, but we were like, wow, he seems really normal. I was like, what's your story? And he was working so hard. And um, how, how old was Kenneth? He was 25 or 26 mm. when he was in my kitchen. This was a couple of years ago at Water and Wall in Arlington, Virginia. And he was very confident and very good, and he just ran into a series of hard times that he just could not recover from. Mm -hmm. I would never dive down deep into what caused him to get into this, and I think at some point somebody did ask him, but I I never wanted to dive deep into that unless he wanted to tell me. But, like, I know that for him to get to work, he had a car that he lived in, but he couldn't drive it, but then he would, like, take the bus for, like, an hour just to get to work, which would cost him probably half of his salary for the day. Um, And it took something significant like uh, this culinary job program to reset his life. Uh, And it was great. And he he took off from our kitchen and actually ended up in one of Michelle Richard's kitchens. Wow. Um, And so it was not bad bad for him at all. Um, Some of my cooks are like, well, what the heck? (laughs) Uh, Just work harder. <laughs> yeah, and it was, it was great to see something like that where he, like, progressed from, like, really he came from, you know, the bottom of, of anybody's, you know, story that you can think of. Um, and then he did it through his passion for cooking. You know, one of the things I would be curious about, both of you have devoted your life, Roxanne, to public service your entire career. Tim, these amazing culinary experiences that you've created in your endorsement of healthy lifestyles and healthy eating. I'd be curious to hear what your inspiration is for doing what you do. Where did that come from? (laughs) I was a farm kid in Montana, growing a lot of those ugly vegetables, which we refer to as the vegetables with character. What are the the ugly vegetables, by the way? I don't like any vegetables, so it doesn't matter how good they look. I don't eat them. But what are the ugly ones? I mean, even if you think about like a celery root or something like that. Okay. All right. I got you. I got you. It's ugly. All right. Go ahead, Roxanne. Or, you know, the ones that, you know, the tomatoes that have a few spots on them, you know, that sort of thing. Um, And when I was 13, uh, my father unexpectedly died. Mm -hmm. And so we went from a very happy middle-class existence to being very poor overnight. And so out of that, I really came to understand that 
poverty, hunger, change in circumstances could happen. And so I think that experience really led me to to understand better. And then I was very blessed. I have I have one biological child. Um, but at the age of 13, she brought home a fellow classmate who we'd known for a number of years, but his mom was intermittently homeless. And his mom was going through a very difficult period of time where she was living in shelters. And he came to live with us. And he spent the next 10 years um, living with us. Wow. And, and what struck me over and over was how systems, free lunch, reduced lunches, those sorts of programs could make him feel very ashamed mm-hmm. instead of very proud of here he was living with strangers and recreating his life. And instead of celebrating that, that desire to transform ourselves, as, have you, as you have done with people who have come to work for you and celebrate their strengths, he was oftentimes in a situation of feeling ashamed. And it, and it really struck me, um, so many of the, the moms whose homes we work in, they have done the most schooling of anybody in their family. Um, so often they're a young person who is the first person in their family to, to head to college. And then they, they get pregnant. And, and how we can either help them become what everyone wants to do. Nobody wants to have a baby and be a bad parent. Nobody wants to have a baby and have the baby end up in prison. Mm-hmm. It's just not our dream when we're, we're pregnant or we're parenting. So how do we help them achieve that dream regardless of the situations that life throws at you? Sure. Sure. What about you, Tim? I mean, for me, actually, I, grew, I was born in Arkansas, of all <laughs> places, um, and we didn't grow up in the best environment, I'd say. And, like, and then we moved to New York where... Uh, Wow. <laughs> like right outside of New York. And we lived actually above a dog grooming place. And we struggled for a very long time from Arkansas to New York. All How the big way. was your family? Um, it was just my parents, me and my sister. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. we were very small. And like, you know, I remember coming from um, Arkansas to New York. We moved above this dog groomers into this apartment. And my clothes were actually the clothes that were left over from the kid before. And it just mm-hmm. happened to fit me. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, it's like, I don't really have a traumatic, uh, thought of this whole period of time. And I just, my parents were actually very good at just making it seem like this is the normal, like mm-hmm. this was the normal we had, you know, I'd eat one meal at school. I eat one meal at home and I, you know, that was just, and I'd have a piece of bread with some butter, uh, for breakfast or famously, um, a hard-boiled egg with oyster sauce is kind of what my mom always did for me. And I didn't think much of it. It was always good. It was the normal for me. And living above the dog groomers was normal for me. And wearing the clothes that just happened to be in the drawers, those are just my clothes. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, I don't know. As And so growing up, I didn't actually learn how to cook or anything through my parents or through, um, you know, cooking Chinese food by, you know, from what I ate growing up. I didn't do any of that. It was just always just substance to me. Um, and that's why when I got into actually professional cooking and creative cooking, it was just such a different approach than actually how I got to this point. Um, and I think that's why I have a certain appreciation for, you know, 
homelessness and hunger. Not that we were ever homeless or that mm-hmm. we ever that I ever felt hungry. Um, but we went through that period of time, and my parents did such a good job of just making us not feel that. Mm-hmm. Your folks still alive? They are, actually. Yeah, I, yeah. They, they live here in Virginia with me. They must take an incredible amount of pride in what you're doing. Uh, it's, it's funny. They, they went through life working so hard, and, and they owned a restaurant for a period of time. And my uncle owned a restaurant for a period of time, and they know the struggles um, that go along with owning it. And so they worked very hard to, get, uh, to make me an engineer, which they did. Um, mission accomplished. He's set for life. And then I was like, I'm going to open a restaurant. They're like, okay. And then he relapsed. <laughs> and then they're like, okay, well, if you're going to do this, then, you know, do it well. Make sure you make sure you make it worth it as well. Uh, all right, partner. You, you don't get off the hook. How about your story? Um, I was inspired mainly by my grandmother. Um, she didn't have the greatest traditional education but she was the strongest woman and most educated person I've ever known. And she instilled in me at a young age, um, the key to life is giving back to others. Mm. And I hear that every day of my life and everything that I do. And that's why I asked the question, because we all have those things that inspire us and make us do what we do. And that was at the core. And, and we didn't have anything. But she said, well, you need to give back to others. Mm-hmm. And so that was, that was, you know, I love it a day. And, and I had a strong mother as well who instilled these values in me uh, and inspired me just as I was a 12-year-old kid then, inspired me just as much today. Mm-hmm. And so as a 12-year-old, were you thinking, give back with what? <laughs> or like, how did that, uh, I mean, how did you observe that? It is, it's interesting. When you're in those situations, it is, there are always people that are worse off. Right. Mm-hmm. That's true. We didn't have anything. Uh, we barely had enough to eat, but we weren't homeless. Mm-hmm. We had a roof over our head, or we weren't being abused. You know, there's always, um, so we, I kind of looked at it like that, and my brother and my sister, we kind of looked at it and from that standpoint that um, situation could be a lot worse. Yeah. And that's a good message to share. I know Roxanne and Tim and others, as we talk to others, no matter what your situation or condition is, um, there's a future. There's a role. There's a, there's a road ahead that is brighter. And it's hard to see that when you're in that moment. That's why we need individuals like yourselves helping share that and, and, and send that message. Well, and I think sometimes we, we think we can't give enough, so we give nothing. Yeah. We can all give at different levels, but we can all give sacrificially. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I, I keep going back in my head to this young man who was at the nail salon this morning who my hypothesis is he probably didn't have a lot to give. Probably I had a lot more to give. But he said to the gentleman who came in, if you wait for five minutes, I will take you next door and buy you a sandwich. Wow. You know, and, and it just struck me of here I stood and I could have easily done that. And my guess is that it was more of a sacrificial gift from him, sure. you know. And, and so how do we each think about all I can do is this, but that is sacrificial. Well, you're right at the core of share our strengths philosophy, right? right. We've all got a strength to share. Whatever right. it is, we've got something that we can give. It doesn't have to be money, but right. there's some strength, some knowledge, something that we have mm-hmm. that can be a benefit to others. 
But one of the things that I think all of us wrestle with, and, and we've all talked about it in one way or another already today, is that we're only reaching a small slice of the, of the need. Mm-hmm. You know, the need is so great, and uh, there's only so much you can do in a few restaurants. How do you think about, or what is your ambition for scaling your work? Tell us how many places Nurse Family Partnership works in now. What, I guess, what slice of the need do you think you're serving, and how do we get the rest of the way there? So I, I have this dilemma oftentimes when I'm describing Nurse Family Partnership where you are awfully big and awfully small. Um, we are in 42 states across America, six tribal nations, and then the program operates in six foreign countries. And so on one hand, we're very big. And on the other hand, we know that we reach about 5% of the need in the United States. And and the good news is we have slots for more moms. We can serve more moms, um, so we have to find them. Um, the great thing in America is, depending upon the state, we have reduced unintended pregnancy in America by 20 to 40 percent. So that's um, fabulous news, um, I think, for every, every family who is trying to plan their children and to plan their assets, um, that we've had a really steep decline, in, particularly in teen pregnancy. Does this enable you to bridge kind of the p- traditional political divide? So, I mean, what you're talking about should appeal to conservatives as much as it should to traditional liberals. Right. It, it absolutely um, has appeal across both sides of the aisle, in part because of our long evidence, in part because we can prove by state and community that for every dollar invested, we return to pack taxpayers between $5.60 and $13 um, per dollar invested. Let me give you an example of that. In Texas, we have dramatically reduced the number of babies being born into the intensive care unit at below birth weight. So every time a baby is born into the intensive care unit, you can pretty much assume that it's going to cost us as taxpayers an easy $100,000. So if we can get in there and provide some services in the home, help mom deliver a healthy baby, just that healthy delivery can save taxpayers um, about $90,000 over the cost of an ICU baby versus a normal delivery. So we have uh, doubled our reach um, over the last five years, and we are now poised to double our reach again um, and try to get to twice the number of moms over the next uh, seven years that we are serving today. Sure. And and so, Roxanne, are you proactively in communities? I know you gave the number, the website. But, for instance, I had a personal uh, struggle with hunger growing up. Mm-hmm. And I think the problem oftentimes is we don't know how to find the resources. And so are you proactively in communities? Are you uh, meeting? And are, are you at venues where folks can connect with you? Sort of. Absolutely. We really are. And what is so fun about um, young moms today is, you know, sometimes you'll find them at community meetings or at churches or synagogues, but oftentimes you find them still on Instagram and social media and Twitter. Um, Actually, we tend to find more of the nurses on Twitter and the moms more on Instagram. Um, You know, we do bus ads in some communities. In other places, we are doing outreach and advertising in laundromats. In other places, it's in housing authorities. We do a lot of work in shelters. Um, we have this amazing nurse in Seattle, and if you haven't been to Seattle lately, um, they've, they've, they're really struggling with their homeless population. Mm-hmm. So she is out on her bicycle 
under the bridges and in the homeless encampments looking for moms who are pregnant and living on the street. Seems like part of the challenge for all of us is simply to raise awareness about these issues. There's so much that people just don't know in terms of the need that exists. Elliot, you just made a reference to the fact that you you grew up experiencing hunger uh, and in a situation where that was, you know, a very real thing for your family. Nobody that we work with would ever know that unless you said sure. it. It's just it's not visible mm-hmm. to people. Um, I was just in, uh, I was telling Elliot on the way over here, I was in uh, Florida uh, for our son's winter break, and we went to Palm Beach only because there's a direct flight from Boston to Palm Beach. And so I decided to call the food bank director, who I don't know, to say, just can I come learn a little bit about hunger and poverty and uh, in, in Palm Beach County. And uh, it was stunning. You drive 10 minutes uh, past Mar-a-Lago, President mm-hmm. Trump's Mar-a-Lago, uh, and you end up at the Four Seasons Palm Beach Resort, and you drive another 10 minutes, literally just mm-hmm. another 10 minutes, and you cross a bridge into a little town called Lantana, uh, where Palm Beach uh, has the other side of Palm Beach County. It's a 2,500-square-mile county, uh, bigger than the state of Rhode Island, bigger than the state of Delaware, and desperate poverty, 175,000 people in the county uh, on food stamps. Uh, and, you know, I'm talking literally 15, 16 minutes from Mar-a-Lago, um, 112,000 kids in the school breakfast program, and it's just completely invisible. And I said to the food bank director, you know, what's your biggest issue? And he said, our biggest issue is just getting people to be aware that this even exists because it's basically segregated. You literally drive over a bridge, and if and if you can afford to live on South Ocean Boulevard, I'm sure you never drive over the bridge. Mm-hmm. So that's it's just one of the challenges that we face. It, it is extraordinarily in, invisible, but each of those thousands of, of kids have their own individual stories that are powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, as we start to wrap up here, which we have to do, tell us what's next. For both of you, uh, you I think um, Roxanne and Tim, you've already made a deal for Roxanne to come into Kirasan right. uh, and have a great Tomorrow dinner. Night. So uh, <laughs> hopefully, there's a similar deal for everybody who's listening to this because yes, we've got to get people to come. It's a right. great, great restaurant, yes. and many of our staff at Share Strength have been there. Uh, other restaurants in the future, or what? What are your plans? Uh, I think I'm okay for a you're, second. You're happy? Yeah, we went through uh, three openings in 14 months. Uh, that'll do it. Yeah, that that was a lot. So. You know, kind of focusing on Kirasan and making Kirasan is the best restaurant that it could be for now um, is the focus. And that and cooking dinner for you tomorrow night. (laughs) (laughs) Roxanne, how about you? Well, a fabulous dinner tomorrow night. Um, And and for us, it's really reaching out and finding every available mom um, from, you know, we have fabulous, fabulous moms in Oklahoma and fabulous moms in New York City and and ensuring that. Moms and babies get the support they need without shame, but with dignity um, and doubling our reach mm-hmm. over the next seven years. Um, that's an ambitious that. goal, right? I mean, that's that's right. seriously ambitious. Right. And today we'll be in 33,000 homes in America. And today, so, in one day. Mm-hmm. So that's at any point in time. And so what we want to do is, is get to 100,000 moms um, over the next 10 to 12 years and in the short term just double that. We're very focused on ending childhood hunger in America, and we're going to do it. And we're going to do it because of individuals like you and the army of people who are out there ready and willing to support our work. So we're we're very excited. Thanks. Great. Elliot, it's great to have you on the podcast. Uh, Roxanne White, Nurse Family Partnership. Folks, I'm going to give the number again one more time, 844-NFP-MOMS. Thank you. Um, If you call that, you can find the help that you need. And Tim Moss, Kirasan. We're coming.
<laughs> Sounds good. Thanks Thank for you. being with us and feel better. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. You've been listening to Add Passion and Stir. I'm Billy Shore. Thanks for listening. You can find us on iTunes. You can go there and rate us, review us, subscribe. Um, let your friends know about Add Passion and Stir. Thanks. The Share Strength community believes that everyone can share in the global fight against hunger and poverty and that in these shared strengths lie sustainable solutions. Today, Share Our Strength focuses these strengths on making no kid hungry a reality in America. Add Passion and Stir is distributed by District Productive. Our senior producer is Carrie Thompson. Our executive producer is Peter Ogburn. Add Passion and Stir is the creation of Billy Shore, Debbie Shore, and Paul Woody Woodhull. I'm Billy Shore. You're listening to Add Passion and Stir from Share Our Strength.